welcome to the House of Learning podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today, we're finishing up 1 Timothy 2. Hi everyone. Well, I really hope this is the last in this series because I said that last time, but we really do just have a couple of verses. (laughs) But there are a couple of verses that are, um, there's probably a wider range of views about what could be going on here than the previous verses Mm -hmm. in um, 1 Timothy 2. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we'll take a look at them. Um, It's me and Molly again. Should we do, because a week has gone by. Mm-hmm. Should we do a quick recap? Sure. As quick as we can. Yep. Are you feeling quick? Okay. I'm very aware of the time someone <laughs> is not quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, just like fly by the... Yeah, fly by. Just okay. remind us like what was what just a, a few of the talking points to help yep. orient us. Highlights. The, the big themes, yeah. We spent um, more of like a verse by verse, even a word by word at times, exegetical unpacking of 1 Timothy 2. 11 uh, through, we made it to 14. No, to 12. To 12. <laughs> You're so right. We did two verses. We did two verses over a span but of an hour. we talked about history and context. Yes. And, and those are the two most, like, needed to be tended with so much care. Yes. Uh, because they often of, get used authoritatively in bad interpreted ways. And with, yeah, with little care and a yes. high levels of authority. And lots of assumptions. With grammatical and hermeneutical principles that are um, that are outdated and need, and need some refreshment, and we talked a little bit about yes the historical context, the personal nature of the letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, in contrast against maybe more circular letter like the letter to the Ephesians that would make its way around lots of different churches. This is addressing a particular church. Uh, with the primary correction around the idea of false teaching. And the false teaching was coming from both men and women, uh, but there is a little bit of an emphasis on the false teaching emerging from women in particular uh, because of the destruction and um, bad fruit that it was bearing because women were coming in um, from their cult with a self-assumed type of authority and in. Uh, falsely indoctrinating, manipulating, taking advantage of, and acting like a wolf among sheep when it came to Mm. uh, teaching the women uh, that were a part of the church that Timothy was pastoring. So we we, we just did a careful exegesis of um, those first two verses, unpacked some of the Greek language around uh, authority, around teaching, around the um, link between those two, how they're connected, we talked about um, the the general principle to be peaceful and quiet and what that means uh, as, as Paul intended it to mean rather than what we've made it to mean and a little bit more of a silence, you are not to speak. Mm-hmm. We noted that uh, Paul wants to pull into the foreground the opportunity for women to learn as the primary thing and that there's a way to do that in a way that's God-honoring. Um, so I would say that yeah. that is a flyby. Yeah. 
and uh, maybe I'm just I'm thinking. Uh-huh. Yep. Fi- fill in a couple. Like yep. that. May- maybe there's a tone not of universal prohibition. Good. Yeah. But of how to move towards reconciliation and rehabilitation of these women. Yes. Into the church. Yes. The 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 two things, and I think the things that excite Richard and I most in life, which is why this verse is something I that we're important. Yeah. Well, we part ways on that one, but. Um, <laughs> I'll convert you eventually. Coconut water is actually my new favorite thing right now. Oh, I've got into that for a while. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really yummy. Um, anyways, that's not we have digress. anything to do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, discipleship and then chocolate for him, coconut water for me. But the two primary principles that are like significant and in the foreground is the opportunity for women to learn and uh, the need to, Richard used the word rehabilitate, but take the women that maybe are causing destruction in the church and set them on a pathway towards discipleship so that they can learn the way of Jesus rather than to assume authority for themselves. Um, You've got these groups, like the false teachers have really affected the women of the church, and the men are angry, and there's fighting going on. Chaos. So, yeah, like... Which is something we didn't mention, like the teach or assume authority over a man. Mm-hmm. Like why point A, isn't it bad to assume authority and dodge the system, whether it's over a man or over a woman. Mm-hmm. But the particular fight that's breaking out yes. is a gendered fight. Yep. And so, But again, some people might you know read that and be like, oh no, I think that's maybe something to do with eldership and... There is room to disagree. Yes, there's a the wiggle room there. But That's we think the we're right. That's the sort of right. stuff we write just in pencil. <laughs> just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a joke <laughs> since you can't see my face or hear my tone maybe as well. Yeah, facial expression is always good for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I have my sarcastic face on when I said that, but we think yeah. we're right. You have to do your ultra sarcastic voice. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, so verse 11 and 12 then lead us into verse 13. So we've got this kind of, hey, uh, we need to stop the fighting, but we need to deal with the false teaching. Mm-hmm. So the women need to learn, but it, it needs to be like submitted to what God has to say and in quietness. This self-assumed authority that's being expressed in teaching and causing problems, especially with the men, like not that, but quietness. Mm-hmm. And then four. So yep. Paul is now going to give some reasoning to help us understand why this is the appropriate way to deal with this problem. Yep. Remembering that other ways this could be dealt with were continue to fight, exclude the women, probably a prominent one by the Jewish yep. part of the community. Yep. So, so he's wanting to give some rationale for why this is the right way to yep. deal with this problem. Yep. So Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Easy. Classic. (laughs) And this is a classic case of like when, and we actually, I think this is a theme where we're growing. Like you ask people who are seeking to do a PhD in biblical studies, like so often people, like professors will say, oh, the area you should get into is the use of the Old Testament by New Testament authors because yep. we are learning so much about this. So here we've got a New Testament author riffing on the Old Testament. Yep. And whenever that happens, we often, 
I don't know, there's a kind of circularity sometimes where it's easy to assume we've understood Paul and then think, oh, that means he means this in Genesis. And then we go and read Genesis a certain way and then think that our reading of Genesis somehow justifies our reading of Paul. Yeah. And it's very circular. Yes. And some of the advances in biblical studies have been to read the Hebrew Old Testament as uh, like a first century Christian, and especially for Paul, Jewish Christian with rabbinic training would have read it. Mm-hmm. And then look at how the church then was using that understanding of the Old Testament mm-hmm. that was kind of faithful to that tradition yep. because they they weren't making like a wild break from that tradition um, to allow, uh, I don't know, a cleaner look at Genesis to inform then our understanding of Paul. Yes. And try, try and break the circularity if we can. Right. And there is always some like, you know, if if someone in the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it's always going to illuminate our understanding. So there's right. a, but there's a an relationship, order. but there's a bit of vicious circularity sometimes. Yeah, an order of operations, if you're more of a mathematician, yeah, like is that. there's a, in order to maybe get a more accurate understanding, uh, there's a, a, a way in which we approach the order of operations to get the, to get the most accurate possible outcome. Um, we don't just come in and make up the order of operations yes. for ourselves. Yeah, and I think there's a view that like the Gospels come first, then the New Testament, and then we read the Old Testament in light of that. Which is a, a perspective that some biblical yes. theologians hold. But it's being increasingly recognized that that does not do justice to how the New Testament no. authors viewed the Old Testament. Right. Which, yes. They were not reinterpreting it. Right. They were yeah, showing exactly. how, that what was going on was a fulfillment of it mm-hmm. and faithful to mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, hermeneutics, there you go. Put that to one side. And so, verse 13 then. So, he's giving this rationale, and the first bit of the rationale he's going to mention is Adam was formed first, then Eve. Which... Yeah, we read back in Genesis, God made Adam. He jabs at the incompleteness of, of Adam mm-hmm. um, and then kind of splits Adam in two to create Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. like this similarity between Adam and Eve as this perfect match for partnership to then partner with God. So, yeah, that's there was an, there was an order in which these things happened, Adam first and then Eve. So can I, can I we, bring we know he's pointing at Genesis 2 and 3. Yes. Yeah. Can I bring something to the attention, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the sarcasm. Yeah. Or I the don't irony. Know, I don't know like what's <laughs> happening today. Like, there's just a. I don't know. Has it been a long week, or yeah? Did you have too much sugar in your breakfast cereal? I'm blaming you. It could be me too. But yeah. yeah. We're a bit weird today. We are a bit weird. Um. Go ahead. So, order is often referred to. Um. Maybe. And I don't know how to I don't know how to get around the point that is trying to be made that superiority is being inferred from the order that yes. creation that's, and that's the elephant. So uh, people but, use the word primogeniture, which means if someone was born first, uh-huh. they seem to be higher up the food chain in terms of authority, importance. You know, there's like a hierarchy, um, and so when people read Genesis. 
it can be really easy to think that that Adam being formed first is a way, and we talked about this in the first class, a way of trying to, I don't know, uh, what's the word? Display? Establish. Yeah. Establish Adam as like the head of the food chain or something. But, but so then maybe my feedback to that argument, and I'll unpack it in its entirety, knowing that it's not full proof, is that the animals were created before Adam. And, and then Adam and Eve are commissioned to rule and subdue. Uh, and there's like a, you know, a, a certain priority given to where Adam names the animals. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that there's some um, ambiguity around the, the firstness. But to, to, to just point at order alone seems yes. to be an insufficient argument because they, it goes, you know, sky. Yes, and quite deeply flawed. Yes, and, and and not just for the point of like the animals, but even it, you know, ad, you know, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when you get Adam and Eve, then it's very good. Yes. So the the poetical form yep. of Genesis one and two shows a crescendo mm -hmm. of God's purposes and will being established. Yep. And that does not seem to reach its zenith and completion until you have Adam. And Eve. and Eve. And the entire tone of uh -huh. the form, the literature of Genesis, um, is not one of like uh, that, uh, the cycle that you see in later culture in the ancient Near East of like, yeah, you've got like a patriarchal figure and then they give birth to something to, to spread that mm -hmm. good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but in Genesis, the actual contrast is that you, you have incompleteness and it's not spreading the completeness out, but something needs to be added to make it complete. Yep, yep. And just the bare fact that throughout the story of the scriptures, God keeps upending this primogeniture in, yeah. in who he chooses. Yeah. Like David, the youngest, is chosen. Yep. Jacob and Esau. Right. Uh, it's supposed Rachel to be and Rebecca. Yep, like yep. You, you've you've got so many instances where it seems like God is there are instances of this like patriarchal like man there was like a moment of faith like a landmark moment from which family throwed which you have in like Abraham Isaac Jacob mm -hmm. um, or even Joseph mm -hmm. another younger one another, but, yep. uh, you know you have these important figures but God is clearly not bound to the idea that first come first served Right. It is, it is, you cannot say that it is 100% yeah. prescriptive. So if that's not in Genesis, which I think you and I would agree, yes. that, that would just be reading into Genesis yep. something from later culture that isn't actually there. Yep. What Paul cannot be saying in verse 13 is, hey, the reason that women need to learn in the way they are and relate to men the way I'm telling them to is because Adam's either the most authoritative or most important or most something yep. one. Yep. Like something else must be going on. Yep. And so that's then then we're like, okay, so let's fish for what that is. And this is an example of this like biblical studies we're talking about. It's like read Genesis more faithfully and then be like, oh, so it can't what can't it mean? Yes. And then like, okay, now we try and fill in the box of what it could mean. And I'm just gonna say filling in the box of what it could mean there's still a lot of suggestions. <laughs> right. But that's why we started in Genesis in this class yes, is because exactly. it informs... Get, get the foundation stone yep. in first. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what's your 
suggestion for like sort of integrating a reading of this in with Paul's argument, Molly? Um, I think I think there's a few places. And I'm even going to read a quote because uh, Cynthia says it a little bit better than than I yes. ever could. Who is a book we'll recommend? It is in the notes. Um, Good book. But I think that the the most compelling argument that I've seen from like a more thirty thousand foot view perspective mm-hmm. on the interpretation of this is the fact that it sits in the context of false teaching and the the women that are being called out for false teaching are coming in with a different narrative towards the superiority of women, mm, the mm. entitledness of women. Yeah. The whole cult yeah. thing. Yep. The yep, whole cult thing. About. Yep. And there needs to be a, maybe a, a recalibration of truth um, where the, the reiteration of our Genesis narrative uh, gets pulled into the foreground because they would have been deficient in the understanding of God's mm. intention for male-female relationships. Um, so it does cause a little bit of confusion, I think. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the woman who was the one that was deceived and became a transgressor. Next verse. Yeah. Next verse. But I think the yeah, fact next that... Next podcast. We're, we're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that the 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 more meta reasoning behind why it's sitting where it's sitting is because it's in it sits in the context of false teaching Mm, and i like that right and proper teaching is yeah what is what needs to be pulled into the foreground um so i'll stop there and then i've got some notes when we can we we break down the verses so maybe we'll keep going on the verses i think the the thing that and actually i think um it's an insight from uh, philip Payne. um that I think complements what you're saying, actually, is the other time when order of um, creation Uh is raised is in 1 Corinthians 11. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and we covered that in depth in the class. Right. That's the woman wearing veils while prophesying. Oh, which, by the way, there was a handout in that class, and I didn't attach it to the podcast which I'm just realizing now. So I will attach that to this podcast Beautiful. so you can find that. But there, the theme being drawn out, like talking about, well, you're dependent on the man, but also the man is born from the woman, is this theme of like mutual interdependence. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, you're giving a reason for like a dysfunction in the relationship, a disrespect, a devaluing of men by the women and i think the formed first is paul pulling out a bit of the way he of his theology from first corinthians 11 mm-hmm. about this mutual dependence and just just because the women are the ones who he's addressing with this problem of maybe respect and valuing and understanding how to relate to mm-hmm. and the corrective is just the realization of the theolo- like the theological grounding in genesis of his anthropology yeah. is hey but you women are dependent on men, and that and the the creation order um, where that dependence comes out is not about a hierarchy, but it's uh, and Corinthians eleven makes this clear. It, it's not about a hierarchy, but it's about we both need to realize and respect the fact that we need each other. Yeah. That each gender is dependent on the other gender, right. and so yep. I I think that's a nice. 
like that that fits Paul's argument and I think gives a good punch to verse 13 then of like oh so you're you're pointing these women at the creation story to try to lock them in on a corrective yep. which calls them to value and respect their dependence on men mm-hmm. um, but it isn't it isn't trying to establish that men are not dependent on women mm-hmm. we can right. just we can just go to first Corinthians 11 and realize like oh yeah, that can't be true because Paul, if that was what Paul was saying here, he would have contradicted himself in First Corinthians. Yep. Paul's just using a bit of his theological anthropology to correct the women. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So do you want to do you want to add something, or should we, should we? Would it be better to add something w- by joining up the next verse? I think jo- uh, we got to join yeah. up. We got to talk about Adam so, not being deceived. So then we get Adam was not the one deceived; it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So, I guess the what and the why that's going on here, right? So, here's here's an interesting thing, okay? Um, Some people have historically said this verse shows that women are more prone to deception and therefore unfit to be teachers. Even some of the most staunch, like old school, hard complementarians have increasingly distanced themselves from that view, not because it's hurtful and doesn't fit our culture and things like that, but just because they're increasingly realizing the text of Genesis and the text here does not support that view. Right. That is not what Genesis says. Not what Genesis says and can't really, it doesn't fit Paul's argument. No, it does not. So that's an elephant in the room to just push out the door. And also something to acknowledge for those who maybe didn't um, has haven't been exposed to more like academic uh, Bible learning. I, I was taught this six years ago. Yeah, that that exact narrative that came out it's of still Richard's very prevalent. Mouth. So know that it's like people are distancing themselves not just because of the maybe the fruit of of pain caused in and out of the mm-hmm. church, and and the witness that it breaks down a whole lot of, a lot of other things um yeah people are publishing articles about the biblical studies the text yes. the grammar the meaning yes. of words reading and interpreting faithfully and even like one of the more complementarian mm-hmm. set of authors published a work on timothy and then a second edition and there's a marked difference where they're like actually yeah that stuff we said in the first edition yep. that was 20 years ago now interacting with the input of other people, well, what's been published, yep. you know, we need to revise yep. what we're saying. Right. So, But it's still out there, but it's becoming less common. Yeah, and it's, and you know, I think the reason it's common um, is partly the history thing of how it fits American patriarchy yep. since the war. Yep. But also there is a tidy, um, easy to put together way of arguing for what Paul says here in the English, if you ignore the nuances of the Greek, yep. that 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 view becomes a big pe- jigsaw piece for mm-hmm. as well. So sure. that's partly yeah. why it prevails. Yep. Yeah, so so Adam is not the one to see. So here's an interesting thing. Like Paul, in talking about his own experience of, of life with Jesus and salvation, associates himself with Adam in Romans 7 and actually says sin deceived leading to trans becoming a transgressor being a referring so, to himself 
referring to himself, but but using Adam yep. to model. So Paul has a theology that Adam was also deceived. Yes. Um, so uh, Paul can't be meaning here. Men can't be deceived. Women can. Um, he's talking about the instance of when the serpent attacked. The serpent came in and attacked and targeted Eve. He didn't target Adam. He targeted Eve. And then what was the fallout of Eve's deception? Was then like the chaos that ensued. Then then Adam was deceived mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. But but the, the, like the serpent came in and attacked and it led to... And the became a sinner, I don't think he's talking about a personal, like women get deceived and become sinners. You know, men do too. He's talking about Eve. Yeah. He's talking about like, hey, this has happened before. Mm-hmm. A false teacher questioned the word of God, the serpent. Right. And he deceived and giving into that deception led to the fall. And... Uh, and he's just using that historical reality to illustrate to these women, like Eve's of Ephesus, beware. Remember what happened when the serpent... And he does actually liken the influence of Satan behind yes. these false teachers as well. Yep. That's a theme in the pastoral epistles. Yep. Um, so Eve's of Ephesus, like remember what happened when the serpent attacked a woman and deceived her and what it and the fall that it led to. Yep. And so he's using this as like a, a, a warning statement to not give a reason maybe why uh, a woman shouldn't do that. It's not into the specifics, but it's a re- it's a rationale because of like remember the dangers of deception. Yep. Yep. Um, and and the fact uh, and, you know, Adam not being deceived and the woman being deceived puts in prominence the, like, Satan's divide and conquer trick or something like yeah. that. Yeah, So So the, the contrast between the two is about the serpent and what the serpent did rather than about something about the nature of men and women. Yes, yes. Yeah. I would, I would want to add uh, something for people to consider because I would say it's more of a... Um, it's a little it's a little farther from the text so it's not what the text says it's an inference about what the text mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. which by the way we do in other areas so i'm not i'm not an awful lot i'm yes. not jumping outside and and and, and it's not um we do that in language all the time yes like part of what we mean is denoted mm-hmm. and part of it is connotative and yep. other forms of meaning mm-hmm. so that's just that's linguistics that's mm-hmm. the way language works mm-hmm. so molly's not sinning it's okay yes <laughs> I'm not being deceived and becoming... Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> in the narrative of Genesis, when Eve... Because she she doesn't fall into deception immediately. She responds to the yes. serpent and then is deceived. But when she responds to the serpent, there is a little bit of an um, inconsistency in what God told Adam and what Eve is sharing with the serpent. Mm-hmm. There's an addition being made. Yeah, um, she... She yeah. said, yeah, she says we cannot eat of the fruit. God, God or, said don't eat it. She said don't eat it or touch it. Or touch it. She, a- she yeah. adds. And an inference that can be made is that um, um, a lack of edu- it, it exposes a lack of education. Yes. It was Adam's responsibility to inform Eve of said situation. Eve regurgitates what she's learned 
but adds to it, which exposes maybe a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And the context f- with which this uh, whole Genesis usage is in the context of these women who are coming in with self-proclaimed authority are, are to learn not to assume the teaching role mm-hmm. because of a, a lack of discipleship, a lack of education. Yes. So again, an inference is yeah. being made, an observation is being made that I think is too, uh, ha- has too many uh, o- open holes to say this mm-hmm. is why Paul is using yeah. this and referring to this. But it's intention but it's an, with other inferences. Yes. It's intention yes. with other inferences and is an observation yeah. and a parallel being made about a lack of education. And I, I think it fits really well with like Paul's First Corinthians 11 interdependence, the whole crescendo mm-hmm. of Genesis into, mm-hmm. into partnership being the ideal. Because mm-hmm. also it's really telling in the Genesis narrative that Adam doesn't question. So there's a failure. Yep. There's a failure of communication and partnership. Yes. And the details of exactly how it played out. And who's did Adam who, not say, yeah, yeah, yeah. or did Eve not listen? Or, but whatever it is, the partnership wasn't working the way it was supposed to yep. be, which led to the fall. Uh-huh. And the partnership with each other and with God yep. was broken. Yep. And so there was a weakness uh-huh. in, in the partnership. Uh-huh. And, and I think then you can really understand why Paul emphasizes the need to depend on one another right. in partnership, not just male and female, but the whole church right. that was supposed to be this mutually interdependent yep. body um, because the safety yep. in that, like yep. that God's designed us to function that way. And when we, when we put things in a hierarchical context of like, Oh no, the men are supposed to be like do all the work and the women just follow and support mm-hmm. is it's kind of cutting so much against what seems to be God's ideal in Genesis, but even Paul's arguments yep. as well. So, yep. yeah, I, I like I like bringing that out as well because yeah. I, I it is an inference, but it's a th- it's a it's a theme. It picks yes. up a theme. Yep. Um, it doesn't introduce a new theme to Scripture, but right. it says, "Oh, this this theme that we see throughout lots of the Bible mm-hmm. may be something that's in the background of the author's mind in the way they tell the story in Genesis." Yes. It's a thread that yes. we can pull on and know that it connects all the way back. And the authors do that a lot. Yes, they Because do. it's this Jewish meditation literature where they, yeah, w- we tend to think, oh man, if you want to be clear, would you just analytically denote in an academic way the abstract truth? Yep. But they wrote these complex weaving of themes yep. with allusions yep. and hyperlinks to other bits of different texts and if anything they're better writers than we are and oh, and we can't admit it so we yes. <laughs> so we yes. try to simplify it for our yeah. own sake um and then lastly with the verse 15 and then i'd love to hear your uh thoughts yes. as well so is you, so, and this is so molly you're about to have a baby yes let us know so how thank you're going goodness to be saved through childbearing. my salvation <laughs> has come should, but should we point at the elephant in the room here like there is a view out there that some women get told that their salvation depends on stepping into God's ideal for them, which is to become a mother. Which that has so many flaws. People say that. I think this is the first time where I, uh, like, I would bring my emotions into the foreground in as much of a, an appropriate biblical, biblical way as possible in saying that so much hurt has come from those who cannot conceive, yeah. who are committed to singleness or a singleness has been um, like put on them yep. b- without choice. Um, 
abuse, et cetera. Yes. So, so much hurt has come from an entire gender through one verse, assuming yep. that your salvation is linked to your ability to yep. bear children. It's and a, it's, it's, it's not fold, okay. It's a twofold mistake because theologically, that is well, yeah, so, it's so, so far yeah. from everything Paul says about what the gospel is and how people get saved. Yeah. Like it's a million miles. His wi- his, I mean, you his know, care for widows alone yes. points at what? Because like, <laughs> when it says saved here, actually, it, the, the word saved is a word that everywhere in the New Testament is used to mean our like salvation in yep. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like we were in the kingdom mm-hmm. of darkness, but we are rescued into the kingdom of light. Yeah. So it's not talking about like saved from circumstances. Like there's other Greek words for that. Yeah. This is talking about like your what's your eternal destiny? Yeah, yeah. Are you part of God's family salvation? Yep. And the idea theologically that that might depend on whether you have children. I mean there's like 50 verses in the New Testament that would just be in contradiction to that. Yes. So not only is it theologically bizarre that people would be able, like, conscionably read this verse that yeah. way, but then, like you say, the profound pressure and hurt that puts on people yep. um, is, yeah. I mean, you, you say justifiably your, your emotions would come out. I would say that's a justifiably slap someone upside the yeah. head. It, I, call, I call it um, sin. Yes. So, And that that is a what I would call dangerous theology. Yes. You know? Yep. Like it endangers people's understanding of their identity, yes. their salvation, of who Christ is, of what the cross has done, yep. and if we what's wanna, available, and, and if how we, to interact with it. If we want to talk about false teachers... <laughs> The, the first Timothy might yeah. be a good read. So for that's you. an elephant. So we're not just going to push out the room. <laughs> we're going to kick it out of the room and burn it. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, poor elephant. But yes, yeah. the, hey, it's an evil elephant. Yes, it's okay. It's okay. The squeals of pain are, are justified. Um, but so, so, so now let's talk about the positive. What could this mean? It, it sits in the ge- Genesis narrative, and we we know when um, when God is addressing both. Um, the what what is called the proto euangelion so the 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 first yes. gospel genesis or the gospel yeah gospel before the gospel mm-hmm. in genesis 3:15 is it talks about um the seed that will come from the woman that will bring um redemption and and like right the wrongs and my interpretation um plus people that are way smarter yeah, than me have linked up, yes i've made this up and I'm, authors who are, yes who've committed large portions of their life of their to life studying to studying yeah. yep um point to the fact that this is a reference to the genesis three fifteen proto euangelion that the salvation will come through the seed of a woman so god already even in the midst of like you know the the land is cursed the childbearing is cursed and the serpent himself is cursed he already has a redemption plan put mm-hmm. baked into the Genesis narrative, and then we see it play out, Genesis 12, all the way through the covenants, et cetera, et cetera. That is what is being referred to here, in my humble opinion, is the, the proto-euangelion, the fact that, that we all receive salvation through the seed of the woman who will come to bring redemption, yeah. and that person's name, is we know, is Jesus. Yes, and I think there's like lots of grammatical clues that home us in on that as well like um and again translation is not always helpful you'll notice in verse 14 you know we know it's adam 
But then is it women who get deceived? Is it? No, it's the woman. Yeah. So clearly I, in the context of Genesis, that can only be one person, Eve. And then in verse 15, it's, um, it's still singular. Yes. The woman. Yeah. She. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, some, some Bibles have a, a footnote mm-hmm. that say another way to translate that is she, but it's singular. And what Paul's doing, uh, he's pointed to the women and the men and the order of creation to say, look at this interdependence you have. Mm-hmm. Women, you need to remember that you're supposed to partner with men. Yeah. Um, you need to value and respect that. Um, uh, and then the women might be like, I, I mean, this is similar to what Paul does in First Corinthians 11, where he talks in the, 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 the ring patterns. On one half of the ring, he has male dependent on women, and then another part of the ring, the other way around. Yeah. So, that you, you know, women reading this and men reading this would be like, yeah, you need to respect me. And women like, oh, I, you know, I need to change, change my ways. But what about my part in the story? You know, does this story only impact um, that I need to depend on men? And it's like, well, yeah, but women, like the redemption of me like me reminding you and making you feel bad about the danger by reminding you like satan has targeted women in the past to divide Mm -hmm. and then to try to bring falsehood in and destruction in Mm -hmm. but hey women like eve then like accessed salvation through the child through bearing the child Mm -hmm. and so that that promise then um it then elevates uh, Eve as the representative of all women because the second half of the verse says they. Mm-hmm. So he's pointing at Eve yep. as this representative of, of, again, having used Adam as a representative of like, hey, that dependence. But then also everyone has depended on Eve mm-hmm. and the line from there for salvation to actually arrive. Yep, and And so... Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I think there's lots of clues, you know, if we read Genesis carefully and then think, okay, that's what Paul had in mind. Yeah, I mean, this fits his argument. Yep. And it fits what he often does of pointing at the mutuality yeah. of interdependence. Yep. And then um, a- as a rationale for his whole argument about women, you know, learning towards reconciliation uh-huh. and rehabilitation, the idea that Paul would give rationale that elevates men and elevates women, yep. like fits his argument really, really well. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and then we finish with the kind of reminder of like, and how is that kingdom come salvation going to work out yep. to get us to this reconciled, like we've arrived now at, at this perfect partnership yeah you've got to continue in faith love and holiness with propriety yeah which and the propriety part of the end is another little jab at the improprietous way things were going maybe the immodesty the self-assumed authority the falsehood um you know just i think he's and it's it's kind of interesting because he points at a future that's different than the present and some people would think he's got in mind, like, you know, these false teachers were saying the resurrection's already come, the final state, you know, freedom, all the tensions in the brokenness of culture worked out. And he could be meaning that. So that's one possible 
future thing Paul's nodding at here. Mm -hmm. But the other could be that he's put in place a temporary, like, women, you just need to stop. And you need to posture yourselves in learning because Satan's attacking you. Yeah, yeah. But that means you're going to turn up and not be able to fully participate in worship and your gifts for a little while. Mm. But we will... You're like we will get to the fuller version of this Ephesian church again, but instead of the impropriety, you need the propriety. And what's propriety look like? Faith, love, and holiness, mm-hmm. which are themes from the beginning of the chapter. Yep. So it wraps the whole chapter up in a bow. Um, yeah. Yep. So it's a, it's actually a really beautiful, I don't know, point at something wonderful. Yes. Um, which I, I mean, it strikes me as well, like. First Corinthians 11 points at, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, points at something very beautiful and endearing. But our misreading of it, sometimes we can feel like it's a text that feels very threatening, jarring, mm-hmm. confusing. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the sad part of this is, yeah, all for want of a little care when we can miss something really beautiful yep. that's actually being offered to yep. us. Last little thought, and then okay. I think we've done I th- I think a we've faithful text. That's enough yes. on this <laughs> Next week's podcast will be about the theology of chocolate. <laughs> Something completely And different. coconut water. <laughs> um, just pulling in a little bit of the like historical cultural context mm. um, as an addendum. The, um, the worship of Artemis, part of the maybe the promise was a promise of fertility. And so Mm. women were often sourcing themselves um, and finding hope through the area of childbearing through this woman, Artemis. And so that influence, infiltrating the false doctrine and teachings, Paul could also be calling into question, no, you don't get it from Artemis, you get it from God. Um, And that reinforces, like if our interpretation squares with the text and the rest of the Bible and the way they're connected, mm-hmm. but then also answers what we know is a lingering cultural right. thing that's being addressed. Right. Yeah, right. We're really seeing the jigsaw come together nicely. Right. And, that, and that's why I saved it till the end, because yeah. I think there's so much more evidence that we can use within scripture to bring and mm-hmm. interpret scripture, but it is a helpful support. Yeah. So yeah. if you have made it, I know there are some people who have made it through yes. uh, 10 Both. plus hours of content on an issue that is gray. Yeah. And I think that if anything, we have, I, I hope that what maybe has come through is the fact that um, A, this is not a divide for issue, that good and godly people can connect the dots in different ways, as Gary Bashir yep. says, one of my professors. Um, that too, uh, that though it is not a divide for issue, it calls for careful consideration, not only of what the Bible says, what it means, but what it means for our day yes. and how it's affected. Appreciation of how it affects people, mm-hmm. real humans. Real humans, yes. both male and female. Yeah. Uh, you know, Richard and I have tried to prayerfully posture ourselves in, in, in a way that, though we've both done a lot of study and consideration in this, know that we don't have all the answers. Uh, and want to encourage as teachers to not tell you what to think, but how to think. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, those who maybe came looking for like the one answer or the one big takeaway might have felt a little disappointed because maybe we've thought given you more questions than answers. Yeah. And we could have given you a, here's <laughs> one clear answer. Yeah. The problem is in five years time, we might have learned some stuff and be like, 
uh, actually, the answer's changed a bit. Right, and we want to supply you with with how to think yes. over a long period Tools of time. to follow the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we're just very grateful that so many of you um, wanted to have this good and hard conversation. Um, like we had like a 90% retention rate throughout mm-hmm. the whole class of like the same people coming back. Um, and I know much more will listen on the podcast as well. So we encourage you if, if this is something that you're passionate about, um, there's yeah. lots here. And to give it some time, I think yeah. as well, like yeah. to process all of this. Um, if you've, you know, when you've inhabited a way of thinking for a long time, you can have a woman get up on stage and it can provoke an emotional mm-hmm. response of feeling mm-hmm. uncomfortable, of like, I'm not used to, I'm, you know. And then the voice of things you've heard, you know, can start to flesh out why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And just acknowledging that, um, you know, and it's not like we haven't had women teach before, but yes, because we've got two women pastors that mm-hmm. are both gifted teachers that have developed to a stage where starting to do more stuff on Sunday seems to be what God's leading them into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you might be provoked to feel a bit, ooh, what's going on more often? Yeah. And I think there are, there are some people, I mean, I've had the emails of the knee-jerk reaction of like, I disagree, I can't process, I'm not willing to have a conversation or give it some time to think this through. You know, And they're not saying that, but there's that kind of response um, I mean, I know for you and me, we would both say having been in different spaces and our views as we've studied scripture have developed on this. Yeah. It takes a while to, yeah. to catch up in like it, understanding how to inhabit these new spaces, yep. these new ways of thinking. So just an encouragement of like, if you've got to the end of listening to the podcast and the classes, like Molly said, well done. Mm-hmm. Extra donut holes for you on Sunday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also... Um, it, it'll take time to then, even if you're like, yeah, I think I agree with, actually, I've, I've learned loads of stuff, I've taken it on, it can take time to then catch up and internalize that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll so, let it affect yeah, the way you live. Just give yourself yep. a bunch of patience and humility and stay in conversation with people. Mm-hmm. Stay in conversation with us. You know, yeah. keep asking questions. And um, this is because it affects something that is how to do with how we think we ought to relate and we bump into that relationship all the time. Um, it, it's a substantive change, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Give yourself some grace. Yep. Okay. That's it. Grace Conversation over. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by At Jesus Church College, based at Westside At Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.